0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been very fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business or for those individuals that are in this business and want to continue to excel at a high level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been a big focus, hence the name, each week I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week doesn't need much of of an introduction. Most of you have known this person or at least heard about the impact he's made on individuals and organizations in the entire sports world. I was certainly fortunate enough to meet him early on in my career and have really leaned on him as a mentor of mine through my different stops in this fun journey. He's a co-author of Sports Marketing, which is a book most of us have either probably read or heard of, sold over 75,000 copies that were published in 11 different languages, as well as published, sometimes it's more than black and white. He's a consistent writer of columns in the Sports Business Journal and an international presenter. I'm excited to have Dr. Bill Sutton, the founder and principal of Bill Sutton & Associates. Dr. Sutton, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trev. Glad to be here. Dr. Sutton, what a, what a pleasure. You know, As I mentioned, you've been such a big influence in my career, such a big mentor to myself and a lot of people in the sports world. So thank you for taking the time. And I'm really excited to allow all the listeners to hear what I've always appreciated about you is your honest feedback and advice to really push people to excel and at, at a high level. So I know you're going to be able to provide a lot of advice here, but before we dive into your illustrious career, when mm-hmm. I first met you, I was in Atlanta with the Hawks and Thrashers. You had just started the sports sales combine, which yeah. at one point in time, CNBC. Quoted as saying it's the next great idea in sports marketing as it's a career concept inspired by the draft combine. You know, what made you start the combine?
1: You know what, Travis, being a, being a professor, I always came in contact with a lot, of, a lot of students, not just my students, but students from all over the country. And it never failed to me that these kids would get their advice and it would be like, yeah, I'm going to get into sales because that's the easiest way to get my foot in the door and get another job in the organization. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to dispel that. And you've heard me say on numerous occasions, yeah. You know, just the other day I was walking through the phone room and GM was there with me and he heard this kid on the phone. He goes, man, I love the way you sew on the phone. I'm going to let you help me pick the draft picks for this year. You know, that just never is going to happen. Yep. And so what I thought would be is with the combine, that you could bring people in there and they could see what it's like a day in the life of a ticket salesperson. And they have to do exactly what it is. And you know, we did it every every time we did that, we have thirty to forty people. And I guarantee you ten people every time would would be devastated when they found out that, that was this that was not gonna help them become a basketball coach or whatever it was. Yep. And so I thought that the combine was a really good way for people to see what the demands of the job are, see how hard it is, because it's not an easy job. I always tell people that an entry-level ticket sales job might be the hardest job they ever had. But also wanted to provide uh, people at the team, like you and Corey, and different people who were at the Hawks at the time, with an opportunity to scout people at a combine. In other words, so before, while you're sitting in your office interviewing somebody in a suit, trying to decide whether or not you want to give them a shot in the in, in your in your office, your organization. If we put them in a combine, you see them on the phone, you see them working the concourse, you see them interacting with people. So you get a much better perspective as to how good they are or they aren't right. And I I always thought it was best for the candidates and best for the teams. The only, you know, the difficulty was you can only, if you're going to do it the right way, you can only do 30 to 40 people. Because remember we did the whole day on Saturday, we put them on the phones for eight hours because we wanted to replicate. Yeah. We wanted to replicate what that was like. And I remember their eyes getting real big when I said, what do you think about that? That's tough. I go, well, that would be your job 365. and they didn't understand that and so i think we did a lot of good and the people we got out of there that that we accepted it you know that got hired turned out to be really really good people so i think the the
0: industry that came from that
1: oh yeah five or six there's five or six people i can think of right now different teams yep and they had a much better perspective of what they were getting into and i think that allowed them to survive those first couple of months because they knew if they got to be good, because they got to see people like you and Corey and Saber and all these people in the roles that they would be able to do this. Yeah,
0: you so know, I mentioned it a really good thing, absolutely. You know, Dr. Son, I mentioned like you're always very transparent and honest about your feedback, and I think that's one of the first pieces of advice on this 52 weeks of hustle is for those of you that are looking to get in this business, you know, this don't go in to get your foot in the door because very seldom, to your point, you see people going. You get their foot in door and inside sales and then transition into baseball operations or basketball operations. And I think the other thing is, is just as much as you've gone through that process as the team's interviewing you, you better be interviewing them to see if you can truly handle that day in life. Because this isn't for everyone.
1: No, it's not. And you know what, Joe? I've never liked foot in the door. Because foot in the door reminds me of somebody's going to go swimming and they stick their toe in the water. Yeah. And then they go sit back on the beach because the water's too cold. Great you enough. you got to jump in you got to jump. If you're going to go in a career, you got to jump in and give it your
0: best. Yep. You got to be full into it. No, absolutely. All, all the way. You know, to your point, I mean, we can both think of a lot of people, you know, I certainly can think of a lot of people I've hired, you know, from the combine. I think of a lot of the relationships I have in this business are people like some of the coaches that you invited there that I met, you know, I met from yep. other teams are still some of my best friends and certainly peers and colleagues in this industry. And I always remember, and you kind of hit on it earlier you would sit down with each and every candidate and you provided honest and candid feedback that sometimes yep. I remember people were in tears. I remember people walking away of like, I'm not getting into this business, which is okay. Right? Like yeah. a couple days to your, as opposed to starting a job and moving to a new place. But what advice would you give to our listeners? Cause you've seen a lot of people that want to be elite in this business what's the best advice you can give to whether it's somebody that wants to get in it or somebody that's in this business right now, like how do they become illegal?
1: I would say the number one advice I'm going to give, giving where we are right now in the world in May of 2020 is no fear. Don't be afraid. I mean, you know, Tim Laiwege has this statement, embrace ambiguity. And that's not a bad statement right now because we don't know. We don't, We have no idea what's going to be won. Yep. We have no idea if we're going to be selling 10-person suites rather than 20-person suites. Right. we got no idea if we're going to sell – if we're going to put our season ticket holders on a rotation for games they're allowed to go to so we've got space. So I'm going to say don't be afraid, and which might reminds me of probably the most successful person that ever went to a combine was Brian Norman. Yep. Right? Yep. Now Brian a, Norman came yep. – came to the combine with the idea that he was going to go to grad school with me. And so he was coming down to spend the weekend. But one of his professors recommended it. And he was going to come to grad school with me at UCF at the time. And that was the thing. And we sat down and I remember he interviewed with Jake Reynolds. And he really liked the idea of going to Washington and working for Jake at Monumental at the time. Yep. And I just said, Brian, I said, why don't you just go do that? And I said, I'll tell you what, if, if, if that doesn't work out, you come to grad school next year. I right. said, I'll save a spot for you, I promise you. But if this is really what you want to do, if this is the business, go do it. Yeah. And then don't be don't be afraid of jumping in right now. Yeah. And we still joke about it. Look at How many years has that been? Right. And he still hasn't come back to grad school. <laughs> right, right. But, he didn't but he's a vice but now he's a vice president.
0: Right, exactly. The devil's. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's the biggest thing. And I think I've been very fortunate over, over this time to talk to a lot of teams, your your point of fear, like, this is the time to invest in yourself and go get it, right? You've got yep. to find a way. And so, you know, Dr. Sutton, certainly a wild career path. And I can talk forever just about your successes and your career path. But you're a Pittsburgh native, which I know we've had a bond from my time at the Pirates talking about restaurants and different people, yep. and obviously the city of Pittsburgh. But now, you, you then, you, you hold not one, not two, but three degrees from Oklahoma State University. So, I guess, how did you end up at Oklahoma State University, especially Pittsburgh? There's so many schools around there. What, and what ultimately made you decide to go after three degrees?
1: Okay, Trav. So, you got you to hear, here's the story. Here's a true story. So, I had applied. I was going to go away from home. I mean, that was the number one thing. All my bird friends were staying. They were gonna go to Pitt or Duquesne or some of them were gonna be adventuresome to go as far away as the University of Dayton. <laughs> I was not gonna do that. Yeah. So the only schools I applied to were Clemson, Georgia, and Ole Miss. All right. And I'm not gonna lie, Trev, when the catalog from Old Miss came to my house, it was four Miss Americas and Archie Manning on the cover of the brochure. And I was in, right? I'm in. Yep. So I get accepted. This, this is where I want to go. And I, you got to remember, I, just, I went through 12 years of Catholic school, the last four years in an all boys Catholic high school. And so my dad is trying to push Duquesne, John Carroll, and a bunch of all these Catholic universities. I said, hey, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. <laughs>
0: Been there, done. And, he goes,
1: well, and I was 17 at the time. And he said, well, I'm not going to let you get old miss. I was down there in the war. I don't like it. I said, fine, then I'm not going to go anywhere. And that was my so, Travis, it's April, my senior year in college. And I'm adamant I'm not going anywhere unless I get to go to Ole Miss. So my mother comes into my room one morning with the newspaper, and she says, wow, there's a a career fair at the Civic Arena. Would you go for me? Please go and and look at some of these schools and see what you think. And I said, fine, Mom, I'll go. So I went down and I met this guy. I I still remember his name. His name was Dan Wesley. He was the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Oklahoma State University. Then I go, and I'm talking to him, and I really like him. And he's showing me pictures of campus, and I like him. And I come home, and my mother, my mother goes, what do you think? I said, I found somewhere I might want to go to school. And at the time, my dad comes in, and he looks at me and goes, where do you want to go? I said, what negative things can you say about Stillwater, Oklahoma? He goes, I've never heard of it. And I said, fine, I'm going.
0: That's where I'm and headed. That's,
1: that's exactly what happened. <laughs> the first time I ever set foot on that campus was when I went to my orientation. Okay? Wow. And I went there. No I fear. spent four. No fear. I went four years as a political science major. And I was going to go to law school. And instead, I got married. And so I kept applying for these jobs in Pittsburgh and the other, and surrounding areas. And at that time, Trev, they looked at, your, they looked at your, your resume. And they looked at your degree. And my degree was in political science. And they'd say, well, you're a political scientist. You can't do this job. You're not trained to do it. And I'd go, but I... I'm not a political scientist. You're the only person that thinks I am. So I got to the point where I said, you know, my wife, I said, you know what? I gotta go back to grad school. And I had some really good relationships at Oklahoma State. And I really had liked my experience there. And Trav, at the time, I think Pitt was like, oh, I think Pitt might have been like $90 a credit hour. And this is like in the mid 70s. And Oklahoma State was 30 for out of state. And I'm thinking, I can go back and afford this. So we moved back there. I become the youth director at the First Methodist Church, and I'm not Methodist, which I always <laughs> tell people, that tells you my sales skills. Yep,
0: yep, exactly. And
1: then I ended up, you know, getting a job as a program director of the YMCA, and I start grad school the same day, and I just decided I would do a doctorate while I was going through just because I, I I thought I was going to stay at the YMCA forever, but I got promoted, and I was eventually the executive director of the YMCA, and I really didn't like being just a fundraiser, just, a, you know, a banker pretty much. Yep. And so one of my professors one day said, Hey, have you ever thought about teaching? And I said, no. And I started thinking about it. And so I switched my doctorate and did teaching and did sport business. And then my first te- I said I would take the first teaching job wherever it was. And it turned out to be Robert Morris back. Yep. So that's kind of a, you know, how it all started.
0: But I mean, I think that, you know, we kind of joked about it, right? The fear. Like, you didn't have no. a fear, you had never been to campus, like, and then take no. some jobs that maybe you didn't have a ton of skill sets or, or knew a ton about. Like, why not? So. And no. I always
1: tell the story, Travis, when I told my grand, my grandmother was from Maryland. and she thought two things on television were real wrestling and gunsmoking. <laughs> and so when I told her I was going to go to school in Oklahoma she was panicked and she wanted to know what kind of gun my father
0: was gonna buy (laughs) hey you're putting together your list of what you're moving with and you got to make sure you have that gun
1: that's it (laughs) but it turned out to be great for me um you know and I'll break I I just got named distinguished alumni at Oklahoma State so I get back this fall and I'll get my award but I love Stillwater I loved Oklahoma State you know I loved living there it was great
0: well, congratulations. Uh, you know, I can only imagine your award closet. So so congratulations. I'm sure a lot of people listening would say the same. And, you know, I guess for those of you who are viewing on YouTube, you'll see Dr. Sutton just relaxing there kind of on the beach. And, you know, we were laughing prior to this is, you know, I'm in Miami and, and you're in Tampa right now. Both of us have had to quarantine, but at least we've been able to quarantine by the beach, which you can't be. That's it. <laughs> So, you know, this business, small, tight knit business, and we talk about yep. a lot of people that we know, and you know, we have so many mutual, you know, colleagues and peers. And um, I know to this day, one of your closest friends is Dr. Bernie Mullen, who I was fortunate to have on this podcast as well. And both of you started uh, and worked together at the MBA in team marketing and business yep. operations. Like, how did that come about for you? You know, going to the YMCA, teaching at Robert Morris to now the MBA? So
1: I taught at Robert Morris for four years. I moved on to Ohio State for four. And after eight years, I looked in the mirror one day and said, you know, you're telling all these kids what they need to do. Do You know what you're talking about. It's one of those things. And I said, you know, when I was at Robert Morris, I worked for the city every summer in special events. And when I was at Ohio State, I was doing studies for the Cavaliers and the Tigers, you know, really learning about the business. And so Buffy Philippel and I met and Buffy hooked me up to, to interview this company called Del Wilburn Associates. And so I left teaching and spent three years as vice president of information systems in St. Louis for Dell Wilburn Associates. And I worked on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I worked on all Mazda's partnerships. So I got a lot of really, really good hands-on experience. I missed teaching. I got a job at UMass and I went to UMass and I was doing a little bit of consulting, but after seven years, you earn a sabbatical. So I was I had planned to go to Rome and teach in a business school in Rome for my sabbatical and it fell through at the same time I get this call out of the blue and it's Linda Tosse who was David Stern's secretary okay. and Linda goes I didn't know her at the time she says uh, I'm calling for on behalf of Commissioner Stern will you hold for Commissioner Stern all right Trav you know I'm from Pittsburgh <laughs> you know you know I don't believe this call is from
0: David Stern right, right.
1: Right. One of your Pittsburgh buddies is playing a prank on you. That's right. And so she says, will you hold for David Stern? And my answer is, yeah, right. And he's on the phone. <laughs> and he gets and he interjects right then and there. He goes, yeah, right. That's how you answer the phone. And he starts going on and on and on. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, you know, try to explain, you know, being from Pittsburgh. And I, I don't know if he bought into that or what, right?
0: And I've heard he's very an intense man. You know, Bernie was telling the story about how intense oh, he's intense. He and so oh, I imagined him on the other line.
1: Oh, yeah. So, you know, we're having a conversation. He actually called me about Len Kamorosky, by the way. Because really? I had done some work for Len, and I had also done some work for the NBA Jam Session. So he's called me about Len because Len had listed me on his resume. So we get done, and David goes, well, listen, it's really nice talking to you. Learn how to answer the phone better. But if there's anything I could do for you, let me know. And I said, all right. So about a week later, I'm on a plane with my laptop. And I said, you know what? David Stern has said if there's anything he could do for him, maybe I could work for him for my sabbatical. So I sit. I'm on the plane. I'm not distracted. I write this letter. I write this letter telling him, you know, I think the NBA is at a real interesting point. There's a lot of things I think I can help with. I would love to come and work for you during my sabbatical period. Uh, if I don't hear from you by July fifteenth, I'll call you. Thanks for your consideration. And so, I'm with Dick Irwin at the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in Denver, right around July eleventh and twelfth, right? Yep. And I call Sharon every night, and I call Sharon up. She goes, "Hey, guess who called for you today?" I go, "Who?" Oh. She goes, "David Stern." I go, "Really? What did he want?" She goes. He wanted to know if I thought you were funny. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, yeah. He wanted to know if I thought you were funny. I said, what you tell him? He goes, well, I thought you were funny. It's one of the reasons I married you. And I said, great. What did he say? He said, well, he thought you were funny too because of the letter you wrote him. And you obviously have some ideas that maybe need correcting, But he would still like you to come to New York next week. He wants to talk. That's amazing. I said, all right. So... I fly to New York the next week, and I'm sitting in his conference room, where you've been. Yep. I'm sitting in his conference room, and he walks in, and in a real wise-ass, smirking voice, he says, hello, professor. <laughs> and I said, hello, Commissioner Stern. He goes, I'd like to open with a question. And I said, sure, what do you want to know? He goes, what is my job? And you know that he's not looking for me to say you're commissioner of the NBA. You right. know that, right? Yeah.
0: There's got to be more. And i got to
1: tell you, Trev, I had nothing. I had no idea where this was going. So I start him hawing around, and I start all well, obviously, you're commissioner of the NBA. And he goes, <laughs> he looks at me and goes, obviously. And then he goes, you know, I'm still hem-hawing around. And he goes, stop. He goes, you don't know. And I said, well, why don't you tell me? He goes, I'm an investment banker with 30 clients. My job is to increase the value of their investments. Do you understand that, professor? And I said, Crystal. And so then we had a talk. And uh, he says, well, I'm intrigued by this. And he says, when do you want to start? And, and if, you know, I'm, I'm teaching, right, Trav? This is July. I said, how about uh, the day after Labor Day? He goes, how about two weeks from Monday? I said, all right. That'll work as well. (laughs) How long long do you want to do this for? And I'm thinking, well, I'll do it for the semester. I said, I'll do it till the end of the year. He goes, which year? And I said, the end of the calendar year. He goes, no, you'll do it till the end of the NBA year. And I said, all right. (laughs) And then he said, how much do you want? Which is a question I didn't think was coming. Because you're on sabbatical, you get paid from the university. Right. I said, well, enough to cover my living expenses here in New York he goes I'll give you $2000 a month for an apartment and I'll pay you $2500 a month so that's your package that's it and i said fine i'm in you're like i'm in so i'm in so i, I start originally reporting to jeffrey Pollock, who just was with the xfl yep and then jeffrey leaves probably in november and then stern says so a couple I'm months report- after you started couple months i started yeah, i started july he was gone so now uh, now I'm working for David directly. So David gives me this project, and I'm supposed to find out, since I'm a professor, find out what the teams do in terms of their research, what the league does in terms of its research, and find out how we work together, right? How we can work together more efficiently. Yep. He goes, go, do do that, write a report, come in talking. talk to me. I said, all right. So it's about it's a good, solid month, Trav. And I come back and I said, I'm ready to talk to you. He goes, what took so long? And I said, nobody wanted to talk to me. He goes, did you tell him it was for me? I go, yeah, that's why nobody wanted to talk to me. <laughs> and I, so I have his attention. I said, you know, I said, people really don't think that your team services department is about servicing. They think it's about spying and monitoring. And I said, if you really want to be, make a difference, you almost have to be a consultant you have to approach each of your teams as a consulting arm designed to help them improve their performance. No penalties if they're doing things wrong, but just we're going to go in, we're going to find out what the problem is, we're going to help them fix it. And so he goes, "Well, okay, once you write that up, let's go with this, let's talk about it. So I've worked on this, i designed this, and at the same time, he said, you're in charge of the marketing meetings. And he said, he said, uh, so and and you're going to run the sales meeting specifically. I said, okay, I'm fine with that. He goes, so who would you have speak? And I said, Bernie Mullen. And he goes, Bernie Mullen. He goes, who the F is Bernie Mullen? (laughs) And I I said, well, he used to be a professor, and you know how that went over. (laughs) And then I told him, but he was president of the Pirates or president of the business office of the Pirates and then the Rockies and the whole bit. And I said, he really knows his stuff. He goes, give me his resume. So I get his resume. I give it to David. And he goes, if he's not any good, at your ass. And I said, okay, I got it. So we go to the marketing meetings, and I'm running the ticket sales division. I bring Bernie in to speak. Everybody loves Bernie, okay? So now we get back to New York, and we're, we're doing the review of the meetings. And David says, hey, do you think Bernie would want to head up this new department? And I said, I don't know. I'll ask him. So I called Bernie up, and he says, well, what do you think? I said, I think it would be a great job. Yep. He goes, I said, but I think you're you going to live in Colorado. He goes, yeah, but I can do this for a while. And I said, all right. So he this is like a, a Tuesday. He flies in Thursday. He and I have dinner Thursday night. He interviews with David Friday morning, and he's in my office at 1030 telling me he's my new boss. <laughs> so the story that Bernie and I always tell is that he went from who the F is Bernie Mullen to the senior vice president of the NBA in 60 days.
0: <laughs> That's a quick turnaround, right? Yeah. You know, and I, I think, Dr. Sutton, it's, it's interesting. We didn't even plan this, but right, you you talked about your advice was, you know, fear, and it's like, for those listeners, you know, think about just what Dr. Sutton said, you know, not only did he have, did he not have the fear of writing the letter or, you know, speaking to, to you know, Commissioner Stern on the phone, but then putting your neck on the line and putting in somebody out there. So I think the advice I'm taking from this and hopefully everybody else is taking is like, Hey, now is the time to invest in yourself with where we're at in this world. And you want to continue to invest in yourself, but don't have the fear. Is it, you know, if you're looking to get in the job, go above and beyond to try to get that hiring manager. If you're in this business, think about those industry professionals that you always say, man, it'd be really cool to have a dialogue and conversation with them. Like don't have fear. Go out and ask what's the worst that can be said. No. Exactly. And that's, and, and you know, Charles, did I honestly think
1: David Stern was gonna respond to my letter? I didn't think so. Right. You know I talked to him, I said, it's, this is gonna happen, but hey, I'm out. At the time, it was a 20-something cent stamp. I said, I'm out a stamp. Right, what's the worst so, thing? So gets- what's, what's the damage here? What's, there's more upside than downside. Yep. You know, when you put your ideas out there too, I mean, if somebody doesn't like your idea, they don't like your idea. It's not the end of the world. Right. You know, look how many times it took Edison to get the light bulb right, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. I mean, you just have to figure out that hey, you know, it'll come. Yeah, and so we lined up this team boat thing, and then the next thing I told them we needed to do was these regional marketing seminars. They still happen.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, we had I start off with my team and I have all my teams get together with somebody that was an expert, and then the other account managers were asking if their teams could come, and so we brought them in and brought them in, brought them in, and we, we started having these regional meetings. Right. Yeah. I remember telling them one time we need to have a job fair. We had a job fair. I told him we need to have stern safaris like go back you need to go out in the market and meet all the people in the market and spend the day and 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 make everybody happy he did that and then I told him we need to have a pension for uh NBA employees I said because I'm trying to recruit people from the NFL and baseball and they won't leave right and he goes a pension he looks at me real hard and he goes so
0: where'd you go to law school again
1: I said I didn't go to law school you know that he goes that's what I thought get the F out of my office
0: (laughs) So I, I can only imagine some of the stories you have, because that's all you know. I think a lot of people have heard is he's very intense. Obviously, super intelligent, but uh, I'm sure you have yeah. some great stories.
1: You know, Trev, he would just you know, if he knew what your weak spot was, he would he'd hammer you. Yeah, and then sometimes you go with a, with an idea, and he would test you to see how much you believed in it. Yeah. So when I wrote about him, I said he transformed me from a why person to a why not person. Because when I first started working for him. I would say we need to do this, and he would say why. And by the time I left, he was—it was why not? I'd say, hey, I think we should do this. And he goes, yeah, why not? Let's look at it. So, at the win, you go—it's a win—and you start going that way. Then it is. And even when I, when even when I left, when I decided I wanted to go back teaching, he had me work for him another three years part time when I was in Orlando. Yeah. So I mean, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with him. I was devastated in January when he died and I was supposed to see him in December. Every December I would go see him and bring him cookies from somewhere, some great spot I discovered across the country somewhere. And we'd go have cookies and milk late in the afternoon one day when I was in town. That's
0: awesome. So, Relationships, you know, and that even kind of started that conversation. It's just a small, small, tight-knit industry. Everybody knows everybody. And obviously, you know, you had been impressed, you know, probably through your Pittsburgh days with, with Bernie Mullen and being the president of business ops and, you end up, you know, yeah. working in that with Timbo. And I know he's still one of your great friends. And so, Dr. Sutton, what did you enjoy most about consulting with all the executives and team members of these different organizations and providing best practices? Like what did you enjoy most about that?
1: You know what, Jeff? It was just a continuation of teaching. I mean, you were just teaching to somebody that was a little older, a little bit more advanced, but could probably handle your idea a lot better than anybody else could because they already had some perception. But yeah, I remember going in and talking about mini plans and doing this. And, you know, for the last two years, Travis, I've been arguing with teams that they shouldn't have phone rooms. They should rip out the landlines and give everybody a cell phone. I said, kids, don't talk on land. Your these 23 year olds. They don't have a landline. They don't call their friends anyhow. They text them. And I said, and you're selling in a one dimensional format. And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, if I'm calling you up and saying you need to come out, and bring a group to a game, wouldn't it be better if I went to a if I went to a game, shot a video of a group that was already there having a good time, shot you then that video saying, hey, this is what happened last night. This group was there. I'm going to call you today. And we're going to figure out how we can make this much fun happen for you. Yeah, this could we be. Need, we need to be more in 2020, not 1920. Yeah. You know, let's, let's move on. Yeah. And so this whole coronavirus. It's, it's done it for me because now there's the program as
0: you say yeah now it's like, like hey here's my advice but also this is going on so this might end up happening organically anyway yeah yeah no so, so dr sutton you know i believe as i've mentioned a couple times through this podcast you know again we're here 52 weeks of hustle today dr bill sutton you're always willing to listen and assist so you know i guess it probably makes sense after you know almost seven years at teambo you go back into academia Mm -hmm. Um, and you decided to start a program at the University of Central Florida. Why was it the right time for you to go back to the professor end, and what intrigued you most about that education piece?
1: What I found out of myself, Travis, was when I was at the NBA, I really missed teaching. and really missed working with students. I I really genuinely missed it. And so I really wanted to get that part of my life back. But when I went back, I knew I didn't want to just teach. I wanted to figure out how to consult and how to teach and how to marry that together into my grad program. So when I came back from the NBA, my whole philosophy on teaching had changed. I wasn't giving exams anymore. I wasn't asking them to write papers. I was finding these experiential learning projects and putting them to work. And the one thing I did that a lot of people were surprised at is. I would contract with somebody to give us a project and one of my conditions was that they had to come to campus and the students had to present to them and they had to grade them because I wanted the class to be like an agency and I wanted them to understand that, you know, these are the people in the industry that you want to work for. These are the people who are going to value you and hire you how better to do that than you doing a project for them that has real meaning and value, but then you got to be prepared. I said, you know, so if they come and they bring their assistant and I'm there, I have, a, I have one third of your grade and I'm comfortable with that. You better be comfortable with it too. I said, would you rather me tell you it's good or would you rather have the vice president of Cleveland Indians tell you it's great? Right. Yeah. You got to look at it that way. Right. Yep. So, you know, and it was fun. And, and, you know, Trav and I actually had the point where they would pass for the project which meant that I couldn't let something half-assed go in front of them. So it was a lot of work for me, because I used to rehearse those kids for about three straight weeks before they ever made a presentation, because I wasn't gonna let them embarrass themselves. And I also felt a moral commitment since we were getting a a, a grant or a a stipend to do this, that it was gonna be first class. Yeah. And I I did that kind of stuff for 16 years.
0: Yeah, I know I'm talking to a lot of your students that, that you went through, that's, I always ask, like, was it difficult to do these presentations and, you know, I remember one time we were at the Magic, we met with some of your students as well. And it's like, no, it wasn't because we've practiced so much. Yeah. And I think that's the key to this business in general. You know, a lot of people are like, well, I have a script for this, I have a script for that. And it's like, those are really just your blueprints to be successful. Practice it so it becomes just your language.
1: That's right, Travis. It's got to be you. Yep. You know, like I get, a call from, I get a call from a telemarketer. I know it's a telemarketer. And I say, you know, and I, want, and I want to give them a shot, right? Where, no matter what they're selling me, windows, whatever it is. Right. And I always say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a warning when I think you're on the script. But if you just want to have a conversation with me, I'll have a conversation. I'll stay on the phone with you. But the first time I catch you on the script, I'm going to tell you you're on the script. The okay. second time you're on the script, I'm going to hang up. Done. Because I'm even trying to teach those people that
0: it's got to be a conversation. Yeah.
1: You if need it's to a script
0: that script and make it your own to have that dialogue and that conversation. You mentioned earlier, it's like you don't want to be just a salesperson. You want to be a consultant. Exactly. And you know what?
1: I tell people this time all the time. Are you excited about going to the game tonight? Yeah. Well, then you got to get me excited about going to the game tonight. Right. But if you're just going to read to me and you're not excited, it's not going to work. Yep. I need, you need to be emotional with me and I need to be able to respond emotionally.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So, so, Dr. Sutton, after eight years, you put UCF on the map. Obviously, a great program there. A lot of great students coming out. You decide to go down to the University of South Florida and start a sports management MBA program. Why was that program, you know, you've obviously had a lot of success being a professor uh, in that undergrad world, and, like, you really, you know, you kind of took ownership of that program, and then now have since put USF on the map. Why was that so important to you?
1: And this is funny, Travis. I never I thought I wanted to run my own program. But there were things that were important to me. The two things most important to me about graduate school are that that you're investing in yourself and you're giving me two years of your life. At the end of that two years, there should be a positive outcome for you. At the same time, after teaching for 20 plus years, I knew that one of the problems was sometimes students went into debt and they couldn't afford to take an entry level job in sports. So I wanted to create this program that had limited debt and definite promise of a future. So um, the program was actually started by Jeff Vennick, the owner of the Lightning, Todd Liewicke, who was the president of Lightning, and Steve Griggs, who was the CRO. C- 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 and they're the ones who went to the university. And said, Hey, we want to invest, we're gonna help create a program, we're gonna invest in, it, but we want to do this program. Well, they happened to do it with a friend of mine, Ralph Wilcox, who was the provost that I knew from the University of Memphis. And the funny thing was, Ralph said, I have somebody in mind, and Steve Griggs said, I have somebody in mind, and both of them had me in mind. So Ralph calls me up and says, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a support business program. Come down and have lunch with me, let me pick your brain. So I drive down from Orlando to Tampa and we have lunch and he starts talking about this program where the Lightning's gonna have these 10 residencies where the students were gonna work three days a week at the Lightning in the second year. And that was gonna be their program that Lightning was gonna pay them. And so I'm thinking, okay, I like this model a lot. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm gonna have 30, 30 students and the Lightning are gonna be 10, I've gotta find 20 more of these residency opportunities. But if I can find them, I'm going to have an amazing program because everybody's going to be working for a year to two years, and that'll make the placement a lot easier. So I go and I find, I talk to the Rays, I talk to the box. I talk to the Sports Commission, I talk to the Athletic Department. We come up with 30 of these residences. And then I go to the graduate school and I said, I need 30 graduate assistantships for the second year. I said, I want everybody to get a, a tuition way. Well, why would you get the tuition way? I said, because everybody's working in the Tampa community, making the university known, and it's what these called town and gown programs. The betterment, the connection between the university and where they're located. And so they said, well, yeah, how many do you want? I said, 30. And they go, you're crazy. And I said, no, I said, I'd like 30. And they gave me 30. I had 30 for the seven years I was here. Nice. So I started recruiting and I was really, You know, Trav, since I'm going to give you a job and an assistantship, I'm going to be pretty picky on who I get. Right. So we started getting to the point where I was just really, really, you know, spent a lot of time recruiting, making sure we had the right people coming in and the right level of maturity coming in and somebody could handle this responsibility. And each class got better and better and better. And so the thing I'm the most proud about my whole academic career was this time at USF, because for seven years, we had a hundred percent placement rate for kids getting a job when they got out of school, and we had this residency program where they were they were only having paid tuition one year, so it limited the debt. And that's it's, it's the proudest thing I've ever done.
0: Got yeah, that's, big that's amazing, else. and certainly congratulations on that. And you know, I know I've I've know a lot of people, and I've a lot of friends that have come through your program, and they they speak very highly of that, which you know is is no uh, no no stranger fact to that. But you. Our, one of my first guests on 52 Weeks of Hustle, Corey Breton, you know, he talked about why he ended up going back in and getting his graduate degree. after yeah. business. And you know, I know a lot of your students have been in the business and they went back. Um, so what advice would you give to people that are right now are thinking about it or looking into going to get more education?
1: Well, right now, Travis, based upon remembering what the economy was like in 2008, a lot of people decided to get back to grad school because they knew there were going to be jobs. And I mean, you know, frankly, we're looking now, your first priority if you're a sports organization right now is to retain your people. Yep. If you furloughed anybody or laid anybody off, your second priority is to be able to bring those people back. And your third priority then would be to hire new people to take the place when you have an opening or a or, or thing. So it's, it's going to be, we're probably talking new hires. I'd be optimistic if I said October, I'd probably say January. I'd probably say January. So it probably makes good sense. If you find the right program to go back, it's probably a good idea. But I would also tell people don't spend two years of your life going to grad school unless you know why you're going back. Right. You know? So what is it you want to get out of it? And I I always paid my kids, right? I didn't make them. I encouraged them that whenever like Fifth Third Bank came to campus to interview all the MBA graduates, they'll interview. Right. You should, you have an MBA degree. You should go interview for that. They'd say, well, why? And I said, well, this is a demanding business, especially when you start off. So I want you to know that, you know, let's say Fifth Third Bank would offer you $70,000 to be an analyst. And one of the Tampa teams is going to offer you forty. That's $30,000 difference. So do you really want to work in sports for $30,000 less or do you want to go to the bank, get that $30,000, buy season tickets and be a sports mm-hmm. What do you want to do? you need to figure that out. Right. I can't figure it out for you. you yeah, only
0: you can figure it out, but you need to right. have that thought process.
1: But there's certain things. like If you're, if, if you're going to be in sales and you're going to be a great salesperson, you really don't need to go to grad school. But what I would tell you is if you want to evolve into a CRO, you probably want to go get an executive MBA like Corey did or somebody else. Yep. If you're going to be a college athletic director, you probably better go to grad school. You're going to work in the education field. You should have the education. Yep. And depending on what it is or depending on what your skill set is. Like, so If you were a music major and you want to work in sports, you probably need to go to grad school. Like I was a political science major and I wanted to work in the sports business. So I need to go back to grad school because my political science background, I knew a lot about jurisprudence
0: in the Supreme Court, but that wasn't going to help me. get. That's going to translate into what you're doing now. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So having founded and run, you know, Bill Sutton Associates for many years now, you're consistently consulting yeah. with teams and leagues on best practices and your conversations are with everyone from owners and CEOs down to entry level professionals and everyone in between probably brings back a little bit of your teambo days of consulting, but it does what is most rewarding to you when you go and talk to teams and individuals uh, or, have they, or have people that you've talked to and they report back to you? Like, what do you enjoy, and what's most rewarding about that?
1: When I find out something that we had a conversation about, or something that I recommended that they look into, and they implemented it, and it was successful, and he called me up to tell me thanks for helping me start thinking that way. Like I moved one team into, you know, it's common practice, but they weren't doing it. Payment plans, you know, monthly monthly payments, so the automatic monthly payment.
0: Yep,
1: And then the, the CFO told me that it has made such a difference in the way they operate their business. It's allowed them to do a lot of different things. Uh, but probably my favorite, Trav, is, you know, I was, I was working with, a, with the Padres one day. I was in San Diego. I was staying in the gas industry, And there's a little park that's actually within the footprint of the baseball stadium. But during the day, it's a public park. So I get up, and I went to have breakfast, and I walked through the park, and I was just kind of chilling before my first meeting. And I said, started saying to myself, God, there's a lot of dogs in San Diego. I said, I cannot believe how many dogs are here. So when I walked into the first meeting, you know, I always just speak my mind. And I say, man, you're missing an opportunity. And they go, what opportunity are you talking about? I said, you should be selling season tickets to dogs. And they said, what? And I said, yeah, you should be selling season tickets so people can bring their dog to the game. And I said, I own a dog, and I guarantee you, when I'm at work all day and I come home, the last thing I want to do is to leave that dog again and go back outside. Right. So, and then I'm remembering the Michael Vick thing, and I remember how quick the NFL shut the, 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 the pet PETA and everything else shut down the NFL with Michael Vick jerseys and everything else. That's so a pretty powerful lot. and I said, and I can't believe how many dogs there is. And I went and looked it up, and it is in the highest percentage of people that have dogs in that market. And so I said, listen, I said, and I, so I wrote up, I wrote up this goofy thing draft. I wrote up like this release, like I was a dog. And I said, yeah, my name's Rex, and you know, Mary and I love the Padres. And I come home, and you know, Mary wants to, you know, Mary takes me for my walk. We come back and we have dinner, and then Mary and I sit on the couch and we watch the Padre game. But sometimes Mary's too tired and she falls asleep, some by myself watching the Padre game. So I was just thinking if I could buy tickets, Mary and I could go to the Padre game, I'd get an extra walk. We could watch the game together, and maybe they'd have some special concessions like dog ice cream. And I actually wrote this thing up. And they're sponsored by Petco.
0: Right, Petco so it, gets,
1: it gets to the corporate partnership guys. And so they. To go, wow, yeah. So they start talking about it. they create the bark yard at Petfield Park, which was six suites underneath the scoreboard in left field. Each one would accommodate four adults and two dogs. All right, they release it, and all I thought about was the park, which overlooked the ballpark, people sitting out there with their dogs. But they took it, made these dog suites, put them on sale, sold them out for the rest of the year in like a week, and now you can bring your dog to every game at Petfield Park. Yeah, all right. And so I came back one time and they said, hey, you know what, Petco likes, you know, they like the bark yard, but they like, they're trying to figure out how to drive people to Petco Park. And I said, well, I got an idea, or drive people to Petco. And I said, how about dog first pitch? And they <laughs> go, what? And they said, yeah, you got to take your dog to Petco. They train your dog to deliver the first pitch. So the dog's in, the dog out. you give the dog a ball, he runs out the pitcher's mouth, puts yeah. the ball down, sits there, waits till the guy throws a pitch. And then they walk in off the field together. So I gave them that idea. Now, that hasn't happened, but that would be it's a great It's going to come. Idea. Hey, I'm hoping. It's going to come. It. Again, consulting again, Trav, is a lot like no fear. You can't be afraid, you can't be afraid they're going to reject your idea. Yep. And you can't be afraid to, to say it. Right. You know? you say, there's,
0: there's no dumb ideas. There's just dumb people. And I know all of our listeners, they're not dumb. No. So just, you get the ideas where, out there.
1: You can't be intimidated by the person you're talking to because you're there. You're hired to help them. They know more about the organization than you do, but you're going to see something they might not have seen. Right. Because you have fresh eyes. Yep. And that's what it is.
0: Yep. No, absolutely. And so, you know, to to give the listeners some more advice, you spent a lot of time around college students and then individuals getting started in this business, industry professionals in their careers, they've worked themselves up to, you know, C-level executives, and you've seen people, a lot of people, come and go in this industry. Uh, you know, this is a grind. It's a lot of long hours. You know, I know in talking to people right now, um, hey, wow, it's been nice not to have to work nights. It's not nice to not work weekends. We're only working 40 hours as opposed to 60 or 70. So I guess what advice would you give listeners that maybe through this time that we're in now, they're starting to think about other opportunities or other industries to work in?
1: You know. I would tell anybody what's important. Find out what's the most important to you. You know, what is that one what is that what is that thing or what is that environment that's important to you? And and pursue it. don't be afraid to pursue it, you know. Oh Trevor, I remember, you know, if I have any regrets in my life, I think I'd have been really good in advertising. But I never thought about advertising. But when watch Mad Men, I thought I could be that. If I would that agree. My- I mean,
0: especially some of the concepts you've come up with. You'd have crushed yeah. it.
1: I said, without all the drinking and smoking, I could, be, I could have been on Mad Men. I, could, I would have loved that job. But, you know, I didn't know. I mean, so a lot of times it's, you know, find out what your passion is. Yeah. And if it's not where it currently is, then find out what, what it is. And I mean, and the great thing is we live in a time when you can be an entrepreneur and start your own business or do something. And 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 be passionate about it, and be happier about it, have more control of your life. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. But you got to figure that good. out. Nice. Yep. But again, like your advice from a lot of the things, it c- it comes down to you as the individual. Absolutely. Like, you, it's what's going to intrigue you the most. What makes you the most passionate?
1: Like Tom Peters said, you're the CEO of your own life. Yep. And that's what you got to do. You got to manage your own life. What's important. Yeah. You know, if you have kids, you want to be home for things. And I'm thinking I'm really thinking though, Trap, coming out of this, coming out of this, you know, work working at home and doing things like this. I think the the new the new way of doing things is we're probably not gonna be in the office five days a week. Yep. We're probably gonna be in the office maybe three days a week and or you know, half the half the company will come in Monday, Wednesday, half to come in Tuesday, Thursday. Because everybody's talking about how well they're able to get stuff done, how Zoom is. Thinking about all the money we've saved not traveling and all the time we've saved not traveling. Yep. I mean, you really need to be there yeah. all the time. You know, I've always debated, you know, if you're working for a team and you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, when is that going to catch up? When are you not going to be happy? When are you going to get, you know, when are you going to have time for your family? When are you going to time for your kids? When are you going to have time for yourself? Right. You know, I mean, both my sons work out every day, but they won't be going back to any gyms because they both invested in a bunch of home gym equipment and home,
0: home those
1: online training sessions. Yep. And they said, yeah, this is great. I can just get up whenever I want to get up. I get my workout in. I don't have to run to the gym, run back be cleaned up, and then run to work. I can just do it until that's smoother. So there's going to be a lot of changes in what we do, how we approach things.
0: And, and everybody's going to have to evolve as a professional.
1: Yes. From period.
0: Point blank. You've got to be able to evolve at this point. Yep. So, you know, before we get to the takeaways and kind of close out the segment, you know, it's time for the Hustle Hot Seat. So, you know, for those of the listeners that follow Dr. Sutton on social media, uh, you know, him and his wife, Sharon, they love to travel. They love to go to some unique restaurants. And so now I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Dr. Sutton. Like, okay, quick questions here in the Hustle Hot Seat. What is your top place you have traveled to? Oh.
1: I would say my favorite place is Italy because I've been there about 11 or 12 times. I've got friends. I've been all over Italy. I like the food. I like the people. Probably Italy.
0: It's funny. Bernie Mullen said the same thing. Yeah, so, probably Italy. Italy's up two zero. what, What's your favorite restaurant? You're a big foodie. If I could have one meal
1: and one meal only, I'm going to go to Alla Familia in Pittsburgh. I thought you were going to say
0: Primanti's, so it's, anything's better than yeah. that. <laughs> all, familiar, all Familiar is on point. I need to, to get really good to sponsor restaurant. this segment then.
1: <laughs> They're the best. They're, it's my absolute favorite restaurant. My runner-up would be probably GW Finns or Braxton's in New Orleans.
0: Okay. And New Orleans
1: might be my favorite eating city. Yes. Very good food there.
0: Yeah. And, and – you have to sing a karaoke song, Dr. Sutton. What song are you picking?
1: Some girls do by Sawyer Brown.
0: Oh, there you go. Little Sawyer Brown.
1: Some girls don't like boys like me, but some girls do.
0: I bet on Spotify, they're going to get a lot of downloads now after this.
1: Yeah. It's a fun <laughs> video too.
0: <laughs> and so finally, you know, you've given a lot of advice through this 52 Weeks of Hustle podcast what are your top three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day and to be successful and be elite in this business?
1: Uh, Figure out your passion. Number one, because I couldn't imagine, I just couldn't imagine working something I wasn't passionate about. That would be for somebody like me. That would be death. Uh, I just couldn't imagine. So find out your passion. And for me, you know, I found out it was teaching slash consulting together, not separate. Yeah. But I didn't find that out until I was probably 50 something. But I had a good life up till then. I said I've had a much better life since then, because once you figure it out, and you know, you figure out this is who I am. This is it. And then, you know, I try never to ask what if. You know, I talked about being a why not person. Probably my favorite quote is a quote it's attributed to George Bernard Shaw but Robert Kennedy made it popular some people th- see things as they are and ask why I see things that never were and ask why not and Great. you know that's I, I, I live by that quote why not right. I mean I'm talking to people right now talking to different partnership departments and they're going to walk in somewhere and somebody's going to say well why should I buy that now and my question is well why not there's more people paying attention now than anything else. Yep. So, if you have something good right now, you know, uh, like Purell, like bleach, like sanitizing wipes and different things like that, now's mm-hmm. the best time to buy a partnership to tell your story. Right. And probably the third thing is treat everyone the way you want to be treated. I mean, my mother made the impression on me early on in life that the janitor... And the garbage man, and everybody else were just as important to the CEO. And you know, I watched Scott O'Neill do that consistently. I watched Barney do it consistently. I watched Luda Polly do it consistently. I mean, all the people that I respect and I know. And I just say, hey, be humble and treat everyone with the amount of respect that they deserve.
0: Yep. Now that's great advice, Dr. Sutton. You're now off the hot seat. You know, Dr. Sutton, you've had such a distinguished career. I certainly owe a lot to you what you've done for me and my fun journey in this industry. And what a pleasure it is to have you on 52 Weeks of Hustle. Thank you so much for your time and expertise and certainly your friendship.
1: And Trev, I'm so, so happy you're doing this. There's a lot of people out there that you can impact and give them a little guidance and hopefully they'll find, find themselves. So this is a great thing you're doing. Keep it up.
0: Thanks, Dr. Sutton. I certainly hope so. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.
2: Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. mypatriotsupply.com